Okay, let's see. Where am I at here? Okay, I, I think it's over. Let's see. What's the ticket say? Okay, all right. No, that's not it. Where in the world is my section? Is this my section? No, I don't think it is. <laughs> oh, oh, here it is. Okay, here you are. All right. All right. Hey, excuse me. I think this is, uh, this is C-17. Is this C-17? Yeah. Well, no, I don't think. It... Oh, it is C-17. Okay, thank you so much. Excuse me. Sorry about that, guys. Okay, all right. Here we go. Come on now. Let's go Padres. All right. Let's go Padres. Here we are. Come on. All right. Okay. We got, we got something going on now. We got the first baseman. I think was he MVP. Is that right? I think he's, yeah, he was MVP. Okay. Come on now. Let's go first baseman. All right. Here we go. This is fantastic. Man. Mm, I love this. Oh, it's all right. Woo-hoo! It's a base hit. Did you see that? Did you? Oh man, guys, can you hear that? What was that? You talking about my will there on first base? You come down here and say that. Yeah, I'm the pastor at Mission Church. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Okay. I guess I better calm down a little bit. All right. Man, this is fantastic. All right. Another hit. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Around the bit. Whoa. Another run. Hallelujah, man. You know, it is easy. It is easy. Getting passionate and excited about something that you believe in. How many agree with that? I think it's, it's really kind of part of our human nature that, that we get loud, you know, about the things that we believe in and the things that, that we hope to happen, like, you know, winning a game. I mean, getting loud is kind of part of, of humanity. I understand there's some introverts, but even in our own way for introverts, we, we become passionate, even in our own way, passionate about things that, 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 that we believe in. I, I was thinking about, you know, crowd roars. Did you catch that? That's an interesting phrase. Crowd roars. In other words, the loudest crowd roar in the world. I wonder which crowd, if it's ever been recorded, is the loudest crowd of all time. I went to Guinness Book of World Records. And I discovered that there is a record of the loudest crowd roar. And it goes between a couple of professional football teams as far as the crowd goes. And I found out it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Their spectators, all of them, have the loudest crowd roar recorded of all time in history. And it goes between, back and forth between that team and another team. But anyhow, they now have the record. In fact, just to give it a little context, you know a human voice can hit about 70 decibels. And I know they have an instrument back here, or sound guys that measure decibels. And, and a voice hits about, at its very highest, like 70 decibels. And then a rock band, imagine, how many have been to a rock band concert? Or a rock concert, anything like that. Okay, so imagine a rock band with those huge speakers and that great system at its very loudest. I mean, so loud it blows your hearing. The very loudest is like 90 to 100 decibels. But the Kansas City Chiefs spectators, the crowd, 100,000 people, they hit, are you ready? 142.2 decibels. They have the world record in regards to being the loudest or having the loudest crowd roar. And so it's, it's, it's not a surprise that we get loud when we want to win. But what I'm concerned about, and this is a little cliche, and I'm going to say it anyhow. I know it's cliche. But what I'm concerned about is we get more excited about the score of a game than we are concerned about people that are selling people for the pleasure of people. We're more excited about the score of the game because we, we, 
we, we are not excited about the fact that we could do something about people that are homeless and people that are hurting and people that are literally starving just right down on the street corner. How come we do not get excited about that? How come we get so excited about a stinking game and nothing against the Super Bowl at all? But man, this is church. How come we get so excited about a game, but we're not excited when we talk about how to create a friendly atmosphere and reach out and share Jesus Christ with people that are dying and they've never heard the message, they've never heard the good news of of Christ. You know, I understand that we're passionate. I mean, humanity, there's no question. I mean, through history, humanity has been passionate about sacrificing and doing whatever it takes, even given their own wives. They're not wives, lives. Sorry, honey. Um, even giving their own. <laughs> she's out of here. Uh, <laughs> Giving their own lives for the sake of the cause. Even as far back as the Roman Empire and the massive roads and the highway systems they built thousands of years ago to have the biggest empire. Soldiers, they gave their life because of that. Even the conquest of Canaan and the people that are chosen by God, the sacrifices made there. And and even the discovery of new worlds like America. People gave their lives like for the Constitution of the United States. I mean, it's part of humanity. I, I, I uh, learned a little bit of a history of one explorer by the name of uh, Hernando de Soto. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Probably not. But Hernando de Soto was a, an explorer uh, of, of part of America uh, in about 1548, I believe it was. He set out to come back to La Florida. In fact, what he had done is he had taken a group of ships to, to Central America. And he had, he had found like 18,000 18, ounces of gold, Inca gold, and he took that back to Spain, and he was very wealthy, and, and he had a new bride, and he was excited about life, but pretty soon, boredom set in, and he took all of his riches and all of his wealth and left his wife behind and bought 10 ships and hired 700 soldiers and 300 horses, put all this on ships, and he came back to the place that was called at that time on the map, La Florida, and landed in this area, which is Bradenton, Florida. In fact, there's a bridge there after him and a a statue that's made of him. And so in about 1548, he lands there and his 700 soldiers and all those horses, they tromped around the swamps of Florida for about three years. And then it went up into Mississippi and Louisiana and then the east side of Texas and back trying to find more gold. And they expended all of their money and all of their energies and pretty soon disease began to set in. The horses started dying and the soldiers started dying. In fact, before it was over, Hernando de Soto himself died of disease. It's no flash of insight that people are willing to give their lives to win. So why are we not willing to make a sacrifice for something that is so eternal and everlasting? I mean, really passionate. You you say, well, I'm not passionate. I'm not passionate about nothing. Oh, yes, you are. Directly or indirectly, you're passionate. Even if you say, I don't want to do nothing or be nothing, then you're passionate about being nothing. So we're passionate, all of us, about something. And there's the rub. I mean, there there is the warning that I want to give this morning. In fact, I came across this little poem. Listen very carefully to this. This is kind of the crux of really what we're talking about. Listen to this little ditty here, this little poem. Once the devil was walking along with one of his cohorts. They saw a man ahead of them pick up something shiny. What did he find? asked the cohort. A piece of the truth, the devil replied. 
Doesn't it bother you that he found a piece of the truth? Asked the covert. No, said the devil. I will see to it that he makes a religion out of it. I guess the question is, I mean, it's there on the bulletin in front of you. The question is, are, are we a fan or are we a follower of Jesus Christ? I, I, I think that's a relevant question here on this, this game day. I mean, are we really passionate about the, the one that we call Jesus? The one that we say, we follow him, we follow Jesus. Are, are we really committed to knowing him and experiencing Christ? And are we committed to doing the things that it takes to, to be Christ to other people and to give a helping hand to other people? I mean, really, are we really a fan or are we a follower? I think we can assess the thoughts here. I mean, what the possible differences are in regards to fan versus follower. The fan, you see, the fan changes when the team loses. <laughs> the, te- the fan is a very temporal thing. I mean, it seems like when, you know, bad decisions are made or we don't like the coach. You know, see, the fan is very emotional. They're driven by the emotions. They're not driven by the very substance of truth itself. And so we ask ourselves, man, are we a fan or a follower? Rather than following the truth that is the stabilizing factor like we'd find in the follower. A fan, a fan is knocked off balance when he faces turbulent waters. We only see the short term reality as a fan. No consideration of the sovereignty of God. A, A fan we, we put our hope in others. Now, get me on this. We put our hope in others. In other words, we say, well, we're happy if the circumstances are right. And then our happiness is based on how people treat us or what people say about us or whether we're accepted by other people. Pretty soon we find that we're miserable because it's very emotional versus the idea of, of our because the follower understands the mission is dedicated to that mission at all costs. And what I'm saying, it's easy being a fan of Jesus when things are good. I mean, when there's money in the bank and we're surrounded by friends, we have all kinds of support, you know, and the train is running on smooth tracks, clickety-click, clickety-click, clickety-click. I mean, and everything's just right. It's not that hard. But when Jesus is headed to the cross, being a follower is altogether different. And we see that in the life of, of Peter, who denies Christ three times. See, being a follower of Christ is is understanding the being refined by fire part of the message. Being refined by fire, the concept that if we're a follower, it might be fire that we have to go through, not always just hooray and, oh, it's wonderful and it's great, but sometimes it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, you know, to to really be a follower of of, of Jesus Christ. There's no question about that. And what I'm saying, it's easy being a Jesus fan and all these things are are working. So I, I guess the question is, I wonder when did that, when did the disciples cross the line? I mean, when, when was it, when was that moment when the disciples, they, they realized they had to get in or get out. Get in the boat or get out. They, they became not just fans, but they became followers of Jesus Christ. And the test was upon them. I wonder when that point came for them in their lives. It's easy being a Jesus fan when there's something in it for me. <laughs> but things change when the conversation of the cross comes up. Remember the story, Jesus, he's talking about what it means to be a disciple. And, and in fact, he had, you know... 
large crowd and many were following him and calling themselves disciples of Christ. And then Jesus takes the time and gives some description and he describes what it means to carry your cross. And he talks about leaving your family and talks about giving things up. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, the crowd begins to thin out. Because they're learning what it means to really be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I know this sounds kind of hard, young people. But there's going to be a moment we either get in the boat or we get out of the boat. And we're a follower. I love our passage today. Mark chapter 10. Looking at verse 17. If you have God's word, let's go there together this morning. We go to Mark chapter 10, looking at verse 17, verse 22. And this is kind of what happens here. I mean, this, this young man, I mean, the test, it's this right here. It's at this moment he faces this test. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think that's a pretty good question. You know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud on your father and mother. Teacher, he interrupts him. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And then Jesus, I love this. Look at verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I want to come back sometime and preach an entire sermon on this verse 21. Because I think this this verse is absolutely pregnant with all kinds of meaning. And I frankly think Jesus left his omniscience in heaven when God became flesh, God the Son. And so maybe not the complete insight, but yet maybe the spiritual wisdom that he had that there was more to this man. And maybe this man was in this rut of maybe... You know, falsifying the appearance of things or the truth. And I mean, I don't know what it all entails, but I just love the phrase that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Because I think that's exactly what Jesus did with me, that he looked at me. And in spite of all my shortcomings, in spite of my sin, Jesus looked at me. In spite of who Tony Miller is, Jesus looked at me. And he loved me. And he looks at you the same way and he loves you. Wow. Wow. One thing you lack. And then he gives them this direction. One thing you lack, he said. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Why, why did this happen? I mean, why does this Man's face fall, and he has to go away rather than receive the very gift and the treasure that Jesus is offering. Why did he go away sad? Well, I want to give an answer. It's because he had picked up a shiny thing, and that shiny thing had become his religion. See, it's hard to be a follower of Christ when we are committed to something else. I'm reading that because I do not want to miss saying that today. It's hard to be a follower of Christ when we're committed to something else. And and I I love this passage because 
Jesus gives us more than just one layer of truth. And that's what's so awesome about Scripture that no matter how many times we read it, have you noticed that? That you can read the same passage at a different place in a different time and it means something different than what you thought it meant last time? I mean, there's these layers of truth that are unfolded like, like Shrek talks about the onion. I mean, this this layer of truth one after the other and he gives us, he gives us these layers and, and we say, okay, here's what it means. We're talking about fan versus follower. He said, here's what it means to be a follower of Christ. What's that mean? Well, the first thing that he gives us, he, he shows us that a follower is about a mission, about the mission. In fact, we look at the passage to say, well, what is the mission? How do we understand the mission? How is the mission to shape us and to form us into the person that God has, has called us to be? You see, he's saying to us, loving God, loving God is more important than feeling secure. That means our love for God is more important than our security. And I don't know how that shakes out in your life and how you're going to filter that. But loving God means that we're more committed to loving God than we're committed to being secure. I mean, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and strength and mind, right? And so we understand this is the mission he gives us. It's the mission of loving God. And for me, in my life as a pastor for these 25 years, the, the mission of loving God, it's the stabilizing factor. I, I was trying to think of how could I communicate that. I, I remembered our honeymoon and we saw some Hawaiian boats, you know, made by local people and they were like long sculling boats and then they had this boon that was like a float but also a weight it was way out there like the length of this altar and so here they're sitting in this little skinny boat and there's this long boon and and then they hit the big waves and because of the float and the weight it keeps them stabilized no matter how turbulent the water is they are stabilized why because of the boon you see loving god the mission of loving god is the boon the mission of loving god is the stabilizing factor in life i believe that and we recognize that this morning that, that if we are followers, not just a fan, we are, we are in mission. What's the second thing he shows us? Uh, if we're a follower, we're about others. If we're a follower, we're about others. And, and, and in fact, Jesus directs him here uh, to not just, and catch this now, to not just the poor. Look at that. Not just the poor. I, I believe it's deeper than that. I, I believe it's not just the poor, but it is, it is about the spirit of compassion and empathy. That is in us and becomes a part of us because we are now a part of something in another spirit that is much greater than us. And that is the spirit of God, the father and God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit, which is really the indwelling perichoresis and intimacy of that relationship. And I love that that word. That's a word that theologians use to define the intimacy between God, the father and God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. Perichoresis, P-E-R-I. C-H-O-R-S-I-S, something like that, perichoresis. And it's interesting when you break it down, you look at the word, and, and part of the word means holy, and part of the word means dance. And so you have the holy dance of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And it's in the holy dance and the intimacy of the indwelling of the, the three that becomes this one that is awesome. And when we are born again, we become a part of that creation. We become a part of that one. And so we are the created and he is the creator. And being a part of the creator, now we, we are concerned about creation because we're part of the creator. 
in the intimacy of the perichoresis. And now we're concerned about our brothers and sisters because God made our brothers and sisters because we're part of the perichoresis. Amen. Does that make sense? And so we recognize that if we are followers of Christ, if we're followers of Christ, we are about others. If we're followers of Christ, here it is. Here's what Jesus shows us. Then we are about Christ. Then we're about Christ. What does Jesus say? He says here, he says, um, what is the phrase? Look at that. The phrase is, come follow me. Jesus says it that way. He says, come follow me, which tells us something that followers of Christ have a new world view. Did you know that? Followers of Christ, it affects your worldview. And there's such a thing as a secular worldview. And there's such a thing as a biblical worldview. And when we become a follower of Christ, we start having a biblical worldview instead of a secular worldview. And folks, I'm, I'm saying this is a battle. Because TV and media and news and everything you take in is promoting a secular worldview. But when you know Jesus, you have a biblical worldview. And we recognize that when Jesus, he calls us to followership, he calls us to follow him. He says what? He says, come follow me. And certainly there is that social justice and there there is that 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 responsibility. And it's not either or it's both. And it's both. And that 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 we are involved and we care about creation. We care about our fellow man. But ultimately, he's saying, come follow me. That's Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's a high Christology that we recognize that Jesus is the very presence of God himself and we are followers. Listen, true followers do not ride the fence. True followers do not ride the fence. The scripture says, he who hath the son hath life. He who hath not the son hath not life. Hath not life. No man comes to the father except through the son, Jesus Christ. So you see, the way to the father is the son, Jesus Christ. And I think that it's important that we, we shore that up. And we understand it and we shore it up because, you see, the, the enemy would love for us to delude that. The enemy would love for us to water it down. The enemy would love for us to, you know, be more tolerant. But the scripture is very clear that he who hath the Son hath life. He who hath not the Son hath not life. There's only one way to the Father. That's through Jesus Christ. And so we know salvation is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And that's what Christianity is. It's about Christ. Hallelujah. So if we are a follower, we're about the mission. We're about others. We are about Christ. And the last one is if we are a follower of Christ, uh, we we have faith. I cannot help but think of uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter three, I think it is. In Daniel chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar is this king that builds this great image of himself, a golden image. And in fact, it's 60 cubits tall. That's, that's 96 feet and about 10 feet wide. And he builds this great golden image and he calls all the magistrates and the satraps and, and all the governors and the prefects. And he calls everybody that's in charge of anything to come together and said, look at this golden image. And they go, oh, they're on the plain of Dura in Babylon. Oh, king, that is an awesome image. And somebody comes up with an idea. Well, why don't we have everybody worship it? So King Nebuchadnezzar, you know the story, he goes, okay, how do we do that? Well, when your, your instruments of the court begins to play, you know, the flute and the harp and, you know, the drums and the bass guitar, when all of these instruments begin to play, then, then the people have to bow. And so the king makes this edict. 
And you know the story. The king makes the edict. And if you do not bow, all the peoples of the land, if they do not bow, he says, you will be killed by being thrown in a furnace. And so we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and who? Abednego. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would not bow down because they, they worship the, the God that is creator, the one and true God. Word gets back to the king, and so he orders them to be brought before him. And so they go and get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I, I imagine them kind of roughing them up just a little bit and throwing them down. And there they are. The king is looking, what's going on? And they explain, he said, oh, listen, guys, I... I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to order the instruments to begin to play. The, the, the imperial court orchestra is going to play. And as they begin to play, you bow down to the golden graven image and I will do nothing. And you'll be fine. You'll be safe. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, oh, king, we cannot do that because we worship the one true God, Jehovah Jireh. And so the music began to play and they would not worship and they would not bow down. And the scripture says the king's face distorted in rage. And then he orders the furnace to be seven times hotter than normal. And I looked at an artist's rendition of, of a furnace uh, during that time and that age. And it's, it's a canonical shaped or a upside down cone type shape of structure that's probably a little bigger than this whole stage here. It has an opening at the top with some kind of ladder. These little portals on the side that about eye level that you can see in the furnace and they throw stuff in the top and it's it's like that and so they bound Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and they carried him up to the top and and, and or the three guys to the top and he had ordered that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than normal and the scripture says it was so hot that the soldiers taking Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to the top of the furnace those soldiers died because of the heat if you can imagine and so now bound Bound, they're thrown in the furnace, and I imagine people standing back because it was so hot. And the king's kind of looking like this, maybe wringing his hands, waiting to see what happens. He says, "Wait a minute! Didn't we throw three bound men in there? Then why is it that I see four men unbound, and one of them looks like the Son of God?" Hallelujah! You see, I, I believe that as we look at this. Passage, we recognize that there was a faith that is more powerful than we can ever imagine. Because a follower of Christ is a person that has faith. In fact, there's something about the passage in Daniel chapter 3 that I've, I've never really focused on or noticed before. And here it is, and it's so simple, it's blindingly simple. And it's this, they acted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they acted, they acted in faith before God showed up. They acted in faith before God showed up. I don't know what binds you today. I'm not sure what kind of vice, guys, that you're wrestling with. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a, just a bitter spirit that you're having about somebody else. Maybe church, maybe still we're healing. And we're tired of being bound. And we're tired of being tied up. And the enemy would love to just throw us in the furnace. But hallelujah, God and the power of God can come in. And he can burn our, our bindings like chaff. He can come in and he can set us free. And he can take those things that bind you. And he can put them behind you. And he can give you freedom like you've never experienced before. I don't know what it is that binds you. But I know this, that Jesus Christ wants to set you free today. I want to invite you right now. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to invite us just to pray. Precious Father in heaven.
You know where we're at. You know what we're going through. You know about our heartache. You know what binds us. You know about our, our ill spirits. You, you know about our vice, our addiction. And there's some probably in a crowd this side. There's some here maybe fighting some of those things. You know about those, those, those things, those really sins. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just speak to that heart right now. And I pray for the one right now that is just absolutely tired of being bound. You're tired of being under the weight of that vice or under the weight of that sin. Maybe it's something spiritual in your life that I can't even describe or articulate for you because it's you and it's personal and it's between you and God, but it's getting between you and God and it's blocking something there. And yet today God is saying, I'm going to unbind you. I'm going to set you free and I want those binds to be, be burned off you like chief. And so I pray, Lord, right now that you'd hear that prayer today as we're praying that privately in our heart, in our mind right now. We're praying, Lord, unbind me. Lord, set me free from this thing that has me tied up. Lord, I'm tired of it. I'm weary right now. Father, set me free. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing this prayer. Pray right now that God had set you free. Pray right now that God would set you free. Pray that way, right there where you're at. That God will unbind you. That he'll set you free from that what you know has been weighing upon your shoulders. Be it just a simple spirit or an attitude. Or maybe a vice sin. You're going to be set free today in Christ. Let's stand together.